Welcome to What I Know Now, a School Sport New Zealand podcast that's all about the value of sport. I'm Mike Summerall, the CEO of School Sport New Zealand, and we're getting into the biggest issues and questions that young people have when it comes to being involved in sport. Before Louisa Wall embarked upon her life as a politician, she was a supremely talented sportswoman. A dual international for New Zealand, she played for the Silver Ferns as a teenager before retiring and becoming a World Cup winner with the Black Ferns. A 14-year political career followed, where she grew a reputation as a passionate advocate, most notably in submitting the bill that ultimately led to same-sex marriage becoming legal in New Zealand. Now her role is a mixture of her two backgrounds. She is an ambassador for gender equality in the Pacific, working to improve community participation among women and other diverse groups. As she says, sport plays a key role in creating an even playing field in society in general. Louisa talks about her own experiences from the 90s and contrasts them to today's environment to show how much diversity in sport has changed. She's open and honest and brings genuine integrity to what can be a thorny issue for players, coaches, administrators and more. What's your earliest sporting memory? Earliest sporting memory as a (laughs) five-year-old. I can't honestly say I remember watching my dad play or watching the All Blacks, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. What I do remember is um, going up to Owen Delaney Park with my father and running around and sometimes scoring tries and it being really crisp and cold. It was obviously Taupo where I grew up. The kids used to just continue to play on the frosty ground. There was no kind of calling it off. It was just the way it was. The earliest memories, though, are sincerely about being with my dad and the fact that he loved rugby and was really keen for me to play as the eldest of not quite four children then, but four to come. Uh, And the fact that he wanted me to play the sport he loved, regardless of the fact of my gender. And when I reflect now, he was quite a progressive man. And I was really privileged to be born into a family where being a girl wasn't a limitation. Um, And it's something you know, that I really value because I think it is a trait of some sportswomen that they have had their fathers as their number one supporters, which really has given us license to do a lot of unconventional things, I'll say. And then when I think about the concept of girls playing sport, about how important it is in terms of issues to do with bodily autonomy and the fact that we get to control how we use our bodies, what sports we play today, and the fact that we weren't allowed to play because that contact in playing that type of sport was seen as unwomanly. So, yeah, quite a profound first memories, actually, And now that I'm 50, looking back all those years and what an inspiring father I had and how much of his love for rugby was transferred through to me. Sports obviously played a huge part in your life. What did that kind of look like as you were growing up and then moving through school? Well, after that first foray into rugby, I'm not sure if if you're aware, but I was banned from playing rugby as a five-year-old by Owen Delaney, who the famous park in Taupo was named after. (laughs) We did reconcile later, I have to say. After uh, we won the 98 World Cup, I gave some jerseys, a Black Ferns jersey, a France jersey, a US jersey, and they um, showed them in Taupo at the Taupo um, rugby facility. So he he was proud of us eventually. But then I played soccer actually for a year 
but then very early on went into the traditional women's sport of netball. And, you know, my first rep team was in the Form 1s, so they're the 11-year-olds playing for Taupo reps, and then I played Form 2 in the rep team. Um, before I played soccer as a 13-year-old um, at high school and made the Taupo team as a 13-year-old. I guess I've always played a range of sports, and then at some point in my life, my dad essentially said, look, you're going to have to specialise, for want of a better word, that you can't play all these sports. So I was into karate. I mean, I was in the basketball team. I played tennis. I mean, you name it, I was there. But when I was kind of 15, 16, I really did start to focus on on netball and decide that I wanted to become a silver fern. How important do you think playing a range of sports was up to that point? Actually, I think playing a range of sports for me was really important. Playing soccer was great in terms of being able to use, you know, my left and my right foot. I mean, I'm right-handed. There's a whole lot of transferable skills and a range of sports. And like, I loved playing soccer or football. So it's quite exciting that the football's coming, the World Cup is here. Obviously, we're in the midst of the Women's Rugby World Cup, but I love the games. But in the end, I think it was more around the organisation within each of our schools. Every school has an equal team. Every school has a rugby team. Um, Not every school has a football team. Not every school has a basketball team or or a range of other sports. So in New Zealand, there is very much a hierarchy. And obviously, we prioritise for girls netball. And so that was the sport that I eventually went into because there was a lot of organisation around it. And people have said, when I became a silver fern at 17, why did you become a silver fern? And I said, because I could play netball. I don't say that to be sarcastic or anything other than a realisation that through netball you have the volunteer base to be able to deliver the sport in every single school across the country. And if I hadn't had that opportunity to play netball, I would never would have been able to progress. So, you know, I'm really grateful for that, for that infrastructure, I call it, within that the game and the fact that we have built both rugby and netball off volunteers, which in a lot of cases have been parents or ex-players people like my dad who just became so passionate about it that wanted to share that legacy with the next generation. And I think, you know, if I look at sport in New Zealand, that, that is it. That is the epitome of of how young young children are able to play sport. And I think because it's become a lot harder for parents to be engaged because they're having to work so much harder, that's where I look at the infrastructure within schools and schools' prioritisation of sport and how schools really have now become the backbone of their architecture because parents have other challenges, other commitments that they may not have had with my, in my father's generation. How did you manage to balance that transition from being at school, moving into that netball environment and still trying to do everything else that you've been doing across your entire sport pathway, actually? Yeah, I think I was a little bit weird, actually, because I used to do my homework at school. So if I had maths like period one, I'd do my homework in the interval break. I didn't like doing any homework at home. I did it all at school. And the other thing that I'd do is if I had work like late in the afternoon, I used to have to catch a bus at seven o'clock in the morning to get into Taipunuiatea College. And I would do all my homework before school. Because when I came home, I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, which meant swimming or 
in the winter we'd collect pine cones, so Dad would send us off with a hammer and a sack, and off we'd go and climb trees and get the pine cones. And he put a goal outside our front yard, and I would just be shooting goals until midnight most nights, and he would have to tell me to get inside. So when I was home, that's what I liked to do, and I left my schoolwork at school. But what it meant later on was there were no conflicts because I used to get that other stuff out of the way to do the things that I really loved to do, which was to play sport. And I'll just tell you this funny story. So when I got into the 98 Women's Rugby World Cup team, I was third year varsity and I had a whole lot of papers that I had to write in that first semester. And basically I had eight papers to write in eight weeks and I just basically prioritised them. And every week I just wrote a paper and submitted everything I needed to so that um, I was, you know, I could just focus on my training. And I managed to scrape through most of my, I mean, I got B pluses and A's, but I think that's what people do and you don't even really think about it. You just create a framework to prioritise everything that you need to do. And I do have to say that the academic side when I was playing was also really important to keep me focused. And also I think for a lot of young sports people, they don't realise that all the skills you learn in preparing for your sport, the dedication, the training, all those principles of, about how you work in life are completely transferable into other areas, whether it be education or how you work, making sure that you're on time, that you do what you're asked to do and the time you're asked to do it. I just think that people who say, oh, I'm no good at school, it's not true. It's just you have to change your mindset about how you do the work that you need to do to be successful. But for me, the ulterior motive was always so I could go play sport, which was my number one priority in life. You are an absolute champion for equity and diversity, and you've come through a time when that was a challenge. I've heard you speak about uh, that netball environment in the early 90s. How do you think things have changed for the better in your time through that sport environment? Oh, look, I think sports become a champion for inclusion. Sports become a champion for equity. I mean, because sport does really have no no barriers. If you're a sport purist, you love people playing your sport. And I always found that when I played rugby. You know, the dissenters, I used to think, you, you don't really love rugby. Because if you're a rugby purist, you don't care who plays the game. You just care how they play the game. And the fact that, you know, I was gay, I was in a relationship, the fact that some of us were Māori or Pacific. I mean, all the teams that I've played in, fundamentally, we just focused on the rugby. And we also focused on the other aspects of us. So when I played, there were a lot of Pacific girls on the team and also a lot of our, our Māori girls where we had karakia. You know, we had did prayers in the changing room. Um, if we were anywhere on Sundays, the girls did find somewhere to go to church. That applied to netball too, I have to say, because... Um, Anna Nuval, who was um, a captain when I was in the Silver Ferns, you know, she was really committed to making sure um, that she could still practice her faith. So I think because we understood where each other was coming through, there were a lot of students when I played. There were a lot of young mums. There were people who had been in rugby for a long time who had to work. We all just supported each other fully. And I think when teams are really focused and committed to success and winning, Having issues about other aspects of who we are is just such a drain. It's a drain in energy. It's unproductive. It's unhelpful because you create divisions. 
But in saying that, in some of the teams we've played against, and certainly the issue about too many lesbians in some of the teams I played for, and them trying to capitalise on that and trying to track from us, never worked, that, by the way. I mean, the more that they tried to stir up some of that sentiment, the harder we, we all played. And also our teammates, because we were all striving for the same objective. So, yeah, I think people have grown up and matured. But I do think the era that you were born in, that your parents were born in, has mattered historically. But we've seen great progress in New Zealand in terms of our you know, treaty settlement work, our reconciliation and then in the LGBTIQ plus space, like next year's the 10th anniversary of marriage equality. You know, it's just become a nothing. We just accept people for who they are. And, and actually, all we're interested in is, can you pass, can you catch? Do you know the playbook? Do you know the moves? And when they're called, are you going to be able to execute? And that's what people are judged on and nothing else. Thankfully, as a society, we are moving forward. We're, we're more educated and we're hopefully starting to show more inclusion. What do you think our biggest challenges are for the youth moving through today versus some of, dare I say, the adults putting rules around what all that looks like? Yeah, I think it is about having proactive environments. It is about anticipating that some of the kids that will be in your team will be rainbow, you know, will have religious issues we'll have cultural issues, we'll have other factors that we should be aware of. Like, do they come from a home where they're not there on time because they just don't have reliable transport? They don't have gear because that family just doesn't have the resources where luxury is a sport. And what I want to see is us be able to pivot and just to support the kids, no matter how they come to us, to make sure they can play so that we automatically get the gear, we automatically get the boots, we automatically have a system where some of the kids get picked up. You know, that the parents, if they are there, it's wonderful. And if they're not, we don't judge those parents. We kind of assume that those parents have got other things in their lives and they just can't do it. There is a lot of shame and poverty, I have to say. A lot of issues about parents not sending their kids to school because they haven't got lunch. And what we're trying to do is to say that's not a barrier to your child learning. And if they haven't got any lunch, then we can feed them. And it's that type of attitude that I want us to see and in some spaces be real about some of the experiences that our kids are having in, in their homes and actually have such safe spaces where they can talk about, you know, violence in the home or any abuse issues and be really responsive to our kids coming forward. Because I do think that's the other role of sport is that you can build a lot of trust with your coaches and your managers and and sometimes the kids are brave enough, I'll say, to share what's happening. And I just then hope we have a responsive system in place where, again, no judgment. We just want to make sure the kids are looked after and are growing up in a healthy environment. And then I hope our response is to ask families how we can help. And then obviously if it escalates and we need to involve other people, you know, legal people, then we do. But we also have really positive environments about saying what's appropriate and inappropriate language and why bullying is not good, how it affects people, you know, and again, be really responsive. And, and I mean, I, I see that that is the value of school sport in, in Aotearoa in New Zealand. And I definitely experienced that when I was at your conference. And, and for me, fundamental to all of that is, again, 
the love of sport, the role of sport in helping build really strong, resilient people who, yeah, some of them might go on and represent New Zealand, but actually what we want them to do is to be part of teams, to be part of communities and to have a sense of belonging. And that's absolutely what sport and team sport gives you is that sense of belonging. Do you have any suggestions around how we can build those inclusive environments? Because we know the value of sport, for, especially for rangatahi who are moving out of the sports sector because th- there's other things that they're more interested in. But within that value of sport conversation, what are the things that we can be saying to our young people, to Arangatahi, to try and re-engage them through sport? I mean, I think sometimes it's asking them what sports they'd like to play because we have those traditional sports. And as I said, we've, you know, when I was playing, there weren't many options, but there's lots of options today. And I think involving Arangatahi more in, in what they can play, what is available, what is possible, but even a lot of cross-code work. And yeah, incorporating like and and I've seen them do it and and the rugby and sevens training they've got judo involved and boxing and and doing a whole lot of it like kind of outdoor adventure work, which means there's variety and you kind of develop a love for the challenge of of different things, whatever they may be. I'm also aware of specific programs around um, harassment and bullying and what it looks like and what you should do if you see it and, you know, having safe people within teams and from really early ages so that they can come and talk to you about anything. There is a lot of evidence about what is available, like the water boy I'm aware of in the Waikato and the work that Thomas does, you know, and some of their work is is really specific. Like they talk about you know, inclusion with of our LGBT kids and why it's important not to pick on rainbow kids and try and, I suppose, create an understanding when children are really young about what happens when you bully responsibility to try and look after them. Sports are currently grappling with how to be more inclusive while maintaining an even playing field. Uh, this is starting to play out in school sport a lot. Uh, have you got any thoughts around ensuring anyone can play in the sport that they wish to play in whilst also maintaining an even playing field but also offering a way beyond that competitive pathway? Yes, I mean, I think, as I talked about earlier, there have been traditions in New Zealand about what sport girls play, what sport boys play. I've experienced it in my lifetime and so, you know, the fact that girls can now play rugby obviously does come from a place where there was a point in time where we weren't allowed to play rugby. And so if I think a bit more broader about that, and particularly want to pick up on the issue of boys wanting to play netball, for example, I mean, I think that they're in a position, netball, that rugby was almost, you know, 40 years ago. And to be fully inclusive, netball has to change. Netball has to create and provide better pathways for boys to play at an international level. And I actually think that uh, Netball New Zealand needs to be advocating for a Men's World Cup. Just like we have seen the development of Rugby World Cups for men and women. So I think New Zealand can take leadership in that. I think our secondary schools could take leadership in that and just create your own boys' national netball competition. Nothing is stopping us from doing things within New Zealand. And then I think the advocacy 
for us to, at an international level, provide these opportunities, from my perspective, can be as simple as, you know, Brisbane 2032, Australia gets to choose two sports at an Olympic level. When I was in the Silver Ferns, one of the first trips I went globally was to Karlsruhe in 1999, long time ago. But the aspiration for netball then was to become an Olympic sport. So netball's known for a long time that to become an Olympic sport, they have to have gender equality or gender equity. So it seems to me we've got an amazing opportunity in Brisbane 2032 to not only have women's netball but men's netball. But it has to start somewhere and it has to start with a country, maybe Aotearoa New Zealand, who finally says, right, we're going to create a a boys' um, secondary school netball competition. And actually the, the other radical thing netball could help do is create mixed teams because there has been a lot of issue um, about trans athletes and where their opportunities begin or end. And I think actually they begin or end through the leadership of codes but also through values and principles which mean sport as a public good has to provide for everybody. And so there seem to be issues about you know, the difference between sex and gender but some of the solutions we can help provide just by doing and creating these opportunities. Because at the heart of it, we want all of our kids to enjoy sport, to love sport, to be able to grow and develop from sport, to create that sense of belonging. We should never underestimate what it means to people to belong to something, to belong to a team, to have teammates who have got your back, who accept you for who you are, who love playing with you. And ultimately, yes, Success from, you know, people like me have always been about winning. But success isn't just about winning. Success is about having people who, when you're up or down, you share your life stories with, your weddings, your celebrations. When people you love pass away, they're the ones who turn up because they, you know, they love you and they support you. And and for me, that's what should drive how sport needs to evolve and not history. We have to be critical enough to say, what do we have to do to change so that more people can play? Yeah, that's really powerful. You're the New Zealand ambassador for gender equity for our Pacificus people. Could you tell us a little bit about that role, what your hopes are for that role, and what role you think sport might be able to play within that? Oh, look, I, I am incredibly privileged that Aotearoa New Zealand has prioritised gender equality. Just a bit of context, there are two other, they're called thematic ambassadors, so we have an ambassador for climate change, an ambassador for counterterrorism, and I think New Zealand finally prioritising gender equality. And I say finally because we've, like in theory and in practice, are a champion for women. You know, first country where women had the right to vote. I think a country now who is in the top ten in the world in terms of our representation of women in parliament. So. For me to have been given this role to help create, and from my perspective, the value proposition of gender equality across the Pacific means, for example, when I go and have um, attended the Women's Rugby World Cup on the weekend, and Fiji playing England, who is ranked the number one team in the world, and the Fiji girls going into half time, 24 12, scoring two tries against the world champions, the value proposition of women playing rugby in Fiji is that. How amazing did they do? How much pride did they bring for their country? 
what a showcase of the power, the strength, the athleticism of Fijian women. And and for me, that is the aspiration for every single country across the Pacific, for Samoan women, for Cook Island women, for women from the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea, wherever it may be, I believe that if you looked at women as a raw resource, like we do minerals, gold, silver, the gold mine of world rugby from my perspective is the Pacific. And that's just one sport. Then when we look at rugby league and we look at football and we look at throwing sports, for example, we've already got examples in, in Dame Valerie Adams. Amazing. Just look at her, though, as a raw material and what she's been able to achieve with all that coaching, technical support, investment. How many gold medals? Three gold medals. And her last one, a bronze medal as a mum of two children who can succeed on these international platforms. So some of my responsibilities to create those pathways and platforms where Pacific women can play. And one of the initiatives NFAT invested in with New Zealand rugby was a championing Oceania initiative where we matched black ferns who had heritage back into the Pacific. Doris Tmapiao, I, I was with her. We went into Tonga. They have game changers in Tonga, women who were the coaches, the managers, the strength and conditioning people. Um, we worked with 20 young women, all under the age of 18. 15 of them were selected. They came to New Zealand and joined colleagues from the Cook Islands, from Samoa, from Fiji, from Papua New Guinea. And why did we do that? Because it's this next generation who will be there in 2025. Four more teams will be added. 2029, which is in England, 2029 in Australia. And actually, I think from all of us, we just wanted to provide what was possible for these young women so that in their minds they can say, I want to go and represent my country and be a world champion. And I want to prepare and be part of the opportunity that we have through sport to not only represent ourselves and our villages and our families, but also our countries on these platforms where actually the country will be proud of us. And so from my perspective, if they're proud of the women who are playing sport, then they're proud of women full stop. And then how can that extend to women in the creative arts and business and politics, being decision makers in our countries? Because actually the value proposition of our women being invested in means it's a huge benefit to our countries, you know, the pride, the position we take in a global context, what people see us for, because we know that to get there, if they do become world champions like Fiji, the amount of hard work, dedication, a lot of our Pacific countries, you know, very strong religious beliefs, all of that is able to be showcased when they're women and their sports people have the opportunity from my perspective, just to play and to maximise the natural talents that they have. So if I can be part of that, how privileged am I in my role? And then if I can help create that environment where we start appreciating women, as I said, in other sectors of society and the contribution that they can make, then in a nutshell, that is what my role is trying to help inspire and, and to be part of. I think we're incredibly fortunate to have you there, Larissa. What are the three values that have shaped you most through your participation in sport that have helped you become the leader that you are today? I think the number one value has been about 
a recognition of the privilege that I have. And when I talk about privilege, I think about the potential that was gifted to me from my, my tūpuna, my ancestors, and the privilege that I had growing up in a family where I was incredibly supportive. So for me not to do everything I could to maximise the talents that I was given would have been a disservice to my parents. And I think for a lot of us, we are driven eventually because it becomes greater than ourselves. It's not just success for us, but it's success for our parents and our communities and our country and a recognition that we couldn't have done any of it without them. And so that is a value proposition for me personally. And then I think it is about taking full responsibility. You know, it is about understanding that if you're selected or not, it comes down to the hard work that you're prepared to put in. So what you sow, you reap. And in doing that, it's about who you surround yourself with, the choices you make in life. I don't believe we make sacrifices in life. We make choices. We make deliberate choices about the training that we need to do what we have to do to be the most prepared for those trainings, which means, yes, you don't go out, you don't socialise, you don't drink, you know, and that that then becomes about dedication. How dedicated are you to your goal, to your aspiration? And then thirdly, I think really then it is about that sense of responsibility you have when you are there to be a role model, whether you like it or not. Because as soon as you become a New Zealand representative or a, you know, a silver fern, a black fern, There are expectations on you and you have to understand what they are, that your behaviour matters because you become an influencer. And are you going to use your superpower? Because I think our sports people have superpowers in New Zealand. Are you going to use your superpower for good or are you going to use your superpower for self-interest? And that good part of it for me is about standing up for, you know, refugee migrants, for people who are part of the rainbow community. You know, those who are vulnerable and those who need allies and advocates who will fight for them, fight for their right to play sport, you know, fight for their right to live in society and peace and harmony because they're not doing harm to anyone else and making sure we don't leave anyone behind because we are incredibly privileged because of the status we have. And so those would be some of the things I'd want people to think about and to take really seriously, and for them to know that if they do that, they will be successful. They will achieve all their goals. It's been an absolute privilege having you part of our podcast series, Louisa. Uh, Thank you for giving up some time out of your very busy schedule, and thank you for representing Aotearoa New Zealand on the world stage. It's absolutely amazing the work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you for your work. And all all those, um, what are they, the directors and sport leaders and coaches and some of them parents who are helping provide those opportunities, you know, to play that we should never take for granted. But we should always stay firm to that provision because we know that we're helping build strong, resilient, you know, young people who will end up strong, resilient adults and understand that, you know, they have a sense of belonging and that everybody deserves the right and the chance to create that sense of belonging for themselves. So I just want to appreciate all the work you're doing as well. And thank you very much for this opportunity to have a all. Thanks for listening and a massive thank you to Louisa for being involved. Hopefully you've taken away some of her experiences that you can apply to your own sporting involvement, whatever level you're at. If you did, 
please feel free to comment, review, subscribe, or share this podcast with your mates. It really does make a difference. This podcast has been produced by Raw Collective for School Sport New Zealand. If you liked it, check out some of our other episodes. It's an ever-growing resource helping you to navigate sport as one part of a well-rounded life. See you on the next episode. Music